All right, folks, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started here. First of all, welcome back. Uh, it looks like a lot of people came back. Some folks are sitting out this session, but that's okay. We're going to send them the podcast and also get some of the notes together for them. But we're very excited to continue the Daring Stewardship class. We're in session three, and today's focus is going to be over everyone's favorite topic of giving. You could tell in the sanctuary when I mentioned that, everyone was super excited about that, and they were ready to, to just be able to, to give to the Lord. So we'll start with the agenda. Uh, we are going to do a quick review of session two. Hopefully you had an opportunity to watch the YouTube video. If you didn't, uh, I encourage you to go back and watch those because they have some really nice tie-ins to some of the content of the class. We're also going to share the biblical basis for tithing, and we're going to talk a little bit about our personal giving testimonies. We mentioned last week that we've been keeping records of some of the ways that God's really shown up and showed out whenever we uh, were faithful in giving our tithe. We're also going to share with you some stats on American giving, and we're going to talk about what your tithe can do for God, both on a national scale and also at the local church level uh, through the Daring Faith campaign. The objectives for today's class are by the end of today's class, you will understand the biblical basis for giving, understand the Lord's promises as they relate to giving, understand how much the American church is giving to God, understand what your giving can do for God's people. So we're going to begin with a quick review of uh, session number two. Last week we talked a little bit about financial infidelity. Does anyone remember? I'm going to do the teacher thing. Does anyone want to tell us what that is? No, Very good. Andrew's exactly right. This idea of, yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the good student, you're the good steward. That's awesome. You know, I identify with that, Andrew. I'll be sitting in a crowd and somebody will uh, ask a question and I feel like, man, they're, they're putting themselves on the spot. Nobody's answering. I don't jump in like you just did, <laughs> so I repent of that. Uh, but yes, Andrew's exactly right. Whenever you um, think about this idea of financial infidelity, it means that you're spending money that your spouse isn't aware of, and it is uh, a word of caution for uh, for marriages in America because we talked about the statistic that this idea of um, just finances is a struggle for American marriages, and that's one of the chief reasons why people get a divorce, so we have to guard ourselves against that. Uh, we talked about budget tracking. How many of you downloaded the Every Dollar app or already have it? need to do that. Some folks have already told me they've been using that. They've been tracking their money. Some folks have been using paper budgets. How many of you have been using paper budgets or have at least thought a little bit more about the way that you write down and track your money? That's awesome. So we're going to uh, kind of build upon that a little bit today. Um, last week we also talked about the budgeting envelopes. You'll notice that you have an envelope in front of you. It's, it's anybody's guess what's in there. There's no way you can see through that, I know. So let's all uh, just pretend for a moment you don't know what's in the envelope. Don't take anything out just yet. We're going to come to that at the very end of the session, okay? We also talked last week about reducing your lifestyle, and we gave you several strategies for that. Some of the ones that have been successful for us are cutting out uh, cable TV because we realized we never watched it. And that thing was probably, at one point for us, how much would you say? Probably. Oh, it was 200. 200 and something. We had a DVR in multiple rooms. We were recording stuff. I mean, it was a mess. So we found out that, you know, if we have to watch TV, a lot of times Hulu, Netflix, you know, 12 we to $15 kind of gets it for us. Recently even cut Hulu because, like I said, Amazon Prime, if you already pay for that, it's less than $10 a month. And you get that option to just watch TV. Now, shows, if you have specific shows that come back in the fall like I do, Maybe I'll get that back in December after those shows have run their season time, and then I can watch them then and do that. So we even actually just cut Hulu yesterday. Yep, 
And you can put it on pause. You don't have to cancel mm-hmm. it. <laughs> if you have some of these subscription yeah. services, you can just say, I'll see you in three months. <laughs> and you can click pause. And I promise you, though, when you log back into the website, there's a huge green button that says, uh, you know, that you want to unpause because that's what they want you to do. <laughs> and you have to be careful, too. Sometimes it'll unpause if you don't keep track of the months. I, I think for us it's like 90 days or something. Uh-huh. And then it's going to kick back in. So you have to be mindful of that. We also talked about last week uh, sticking to an entertainment budget in our situation. We That's been one of the areas that we've cut back, at least in the beginning, so that we can really focus on our debt snowball and that we can be really intentional with our giving. We talked about reducing or eliminating eating out. The quote we gave last week was that you shouldn't enter a restaurant while you're paying off debt unless you're working there. Now, Alex has some uh, workarounds for that. Uh, we talked about last week how the drive-through isn't actually entering the restaurant, so she's 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 found all the loopholes she can. Yeah, we also gave you uh, guys some YouTube videos for some meal preppers. Alex can speak more to that, but just being very intentional about cooking at home and trying to buy groceries and actually use those groceries, uh, not letting them go out of date. Whenever you go to the grocery store, making sure you have meals in mind and not stuff in mind. That's one of the easiest ways to make sure that you actually save money is that before you go into the grocery store, you actually have a plan of exactly what you're going to buy to make specific meals and not just see something and grab it because we're guilty of doing that. And I shared with you during the first week that sometimes we would go into our cabinet, pull down the bag of sugar, the bag of flour that had went out of date, and we just replaced it with a brand new bag of sugar, uh, bag of flour. And that happens more often than not. So... We're going to move into the biblical basis. You guys can flip over to page two, and we will get into today's teaching on giving. (laughs) So last week we talked about the biblical basis came from Malachi, um, everyone's favorite scripture about bringing the full tithe into the storehouse. But there are three promises there in Malachi that God gives you when you do bring your full tithe. So he promises that he's going to pour out a blessing until there's no more need in your life. He promises he will rebuke the devourer from you. And he promises he will cause your work to be successful, that you will not toil in vain, that um, you will not fail to bear fruit. Okay, so that's from Malachi. That's what we talked about last week. And, of course, that's a great scripture to go back to when referencing bringing your tithe into the storehouse. But I wanted to take it even a step further. And as Shannon was sharing with you um, last week that we have a particular notebook that in 2009, 2010, 2011, those years that I was writing and keeping sermon notes in, I was also writing down prayer requests and then those answers as they came in in that particular notebook. So as I was looking through it, getting ready for this class, um, Donald, Pastor Donald, had preached a message in 2010 over Nehemiah and building the wall. And I felt that it was um, a perfect scripture to go along with tithing. So we're going to build a wall and we're going to talk about tithing from Nehemiah. So the scripture is Nehemiah 4.10 through 14. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in open places. 
I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This um, verse... What I saw here is what I'm going to share with you. The Holy Spirit, I feel like, gave me um, to go along with the quote at the bottom that I have from Donald's message of August 8th, 2010. It says, The devil uses fear to keep us in bondage the same way God uses faith to set us free. God gave Nehemiah a plan and a purpose. He needed to rebuild the wall. God gave City of Hope a plan and a purpose. We need to reach the broken and the hurting of Manchester. Without everyone pulling their weight or doing their part, both financially and physically, the strength of those who bear the burden will fail. That's the first thing you see there in Nehemiah 4.10. It says the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. All the weight can't be put on a certain number or percentage of people within the church because they will fail. It will fail. The goal of reaching a million dollars in three years cannot be met if everyone doesn't do their part. The strength of those who bear the burden will fail. The plans of the enemy is to destroy you. But this verse reminds you that through God's word, we are reminded he is great and awesome. God is great and awesome. The last thing that this verse reminds you is that you are to fight for your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers, your wives, your husbands, and your homes. Where's your home? Your home is in Clay County. You're not just fighting for those that you love. You're fighting for those that you haven't yet reached. So I don't know about you, but I've got some family that needs saved. I've got some family that need the Lord. So I bring my full tithe into the storehouse because God has a plan and he has a purpose for my money, for the money that he's given me to give back to him. And in that... He's going to use my money, the money that I bring, my full tithe, and he's going to reach the lost of Clay County. He's going to reach them um, out on the streets of Bridge Street. He's going to reach them out in the hollers on Big Creek where I grew up. He's yeah. going to reach the people of Clay County in these dark, desolate places that need the light and the glory of God. The only way that we can as a community and a church reach those people is to spend money to bring in programs. And just like this past week with the Bridge Street Outreach, how people brought their money and they gave and they, they poured out blessings on those people and people were prayed for. And they there's going to be healing. There's going to be bondage broken off. So I use my money, my 10%, or whatever the case may be, the percentage that I give, for God to use that money. So Nehemiah, there was a plan and a purpose in the time of Nehemiah, and he, the laborers were few because their strength was failing. But if everyone comes together, and we all do this together as a community, as a believer um, in the body of Christ, which the statistic Shan's going to share with you is what our tithe can do if we all bring it together. So that's, that's Nehemiah. We're going to rebuild the wall, and in our case, that means we're going to restore Clay County. So the given testimonies that we have below that, when we are faithful in tithing, I have a couple of testimonies here, but I also have scripture to go with this. So a, a miscellaneous income follows a miscellaneous expense. There are two times that I'd written down um, answered prayer in that little 2009 to 2011 journal I was telling you about. In 2010, December of 2010, we needed $200 to pay an electric bill that we had. 
we received $336 from the IRS because we paid too much in taxes. Now, how many times the IRS sent you a check? <laughs> okay, that was the Lord. Um, in 2011, we needed $100 to be able to eat for the remainder of the month. No one knew, but that Sunday at church, uh, Tina, the Nelsons, she brought and handed me $100, folded up in her hand, and she said, the Lord told me to give you this. She probably doesn't even remember that moment, but I do, because the Lord told her that we needed that, and she handed me that money in my hand. Um, so that, that will happen. God will provide a way. Just like he says in Malachi 3.10, there will be no more need. Don't be afraid to give the full tithe. There shouldn't be any fear in that because God is a good father. How much more is his blessing than the blessing of an earthly father? So we're promoted and we receive blessing until there is no need. That's my next point here. Um, there isn't anything in this world that can make you want to go back into bondage. And when you start breaking those chains of debt off of your life, you can see the faith that's building that leads to freedom freedom rather than fear through that bondage. And if you think about your full tithe that you would need to bring into the storehouse, think about what you want in this world, anything that you could have in this world, and you think about your money and you say, I can't live on 90% or I can't live on 85% of my income. What are you wanting and craving so badly in this world that it can cost a soul? What do you earthly, what's the earthly possession that you are wanting that's the price of a soul? How much is it worth to you? So, we eliminate debt. We have more to sow into God's work. That's the whole purpose of getting out of debt. Right now, you live like no one else meaning you're the radical, weird person at church <laughs> who just cut off Hulu because it was, you know, that $12 could be allocated somewhere else. So, <laughs> so, so you live like no one else right now so that later, when you are out of bondage, you can give so much more than you ever thought possible. What if you didn't have a house payment and a car payment and a credit card payment? Say that's $1,000. How many people could you bring to the church through outreach and missions and kids that you could help in our community with $1,000? Yeah. So we fund God's agenda before we fulfill our own. That's the next point you see there. Fulfilling God's agenda it should be our ultimate purpose, right? You've asked God, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Just walk down to Bridge Street. Look around, see the hurt, see the need. And I specifically point out Bridge Street because that's where Shannon Deaton came from. That's my husband who's standing here, who is outreached to, who is ministered to, who's now, you know, a prominent figure standing here to teach you this class. That's his area. I'm from Big Creek, 30 minutes outside of town, up a holler. You know, like that's on a mountain. (laughs) And I'm here because of the glory of God. Nothing I did could set me up to be here. But my money has an assignment. My money has a purpose. And if God says he needs 10%, Lord, you have 10%. You you have whatever you want. It's his money. So when you look at your money, just remember to be faithful in that, that it will build your faith and it will not lead you into bondage. What leads you into bondage is the world. The world saying, you need this. You need a new outfit. You need to go out to eat. You, these things are things that you need. No, what you need is four walls as a shelter. You need clothes on your back and you need food in your belly. That's what you need. It doesn't have to be things that you want, so to speak. Um, so 
with my sermon. We're going to go over to the page. <laughs> my little sermon. We're going to go over to the page that's the statistics on American giving. There are seven of them Shannon's going to share with you. Really, these will like rock your world when you see. I know Donald's given some of them in the past, but um, I'll just let Shannon tell you that here, the 2.3% he's going to share just touched my heart. So part of what we wanted to do today was talk a little bit about how much God's people are faithful in giving, not just in this church, but across America. And if we were to go all in, if we were really to live the behaviors of the faith that we profess, exactly what would we be able to accomplish? And in what amount of time would we be able to get it done? So taking a look at some of the statistics here, um, starting with number one, it says, in 2011, professing Christians gave 2.3% of their income to the church. That's less than one-fourth of the total 10% that God requires. Number two, more of the income from Christian households was given during the Great Depression than is given in 2017. That really moved my heart Mm -hmm. because during that time people were living on nothing. People who had stored up their riches and their inheritance and their savings and things that they prepared for future generations was awash. It was gone, and still yet, in the midst of that struggle, somehow they outgave, or they gave more than what we give today. That's mind-blowing when you think about what we have, what we have influence over, the types of jobs that we hold today, the types of positions we can hold, the two people incomes that they didn't even have back in the 1920s, 1930s, when all of this was going on. Can you imagine? They outgave us. That's eye-opening. Number three. 33 to 50% of Christians report they give nothing to charities or to the church. I'm going to ask these three people to stand up for just a second. Right here. Don't worry, I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to ask you to say anything. Just a visual representation. All right. Imagine that the three people standing represent all of the work that God wants to do in the lives of our community. Imagine that it represents the giving that he wants to sow into our church, that he wants to sow into our communities. Imagine it represents the manifest blessing of what God has to offer. Jacqueline Richards, sit down. This is what we're giving him. This is what he wants to do with three people. We have one left standing, two sat down. That represents the American church and how we give. That represents our heart. That represents what's important to us. Thank you. You can have a seat. Number four, 75% of non-Christians make charitable charitable donations to at least one agency. Think about that for a moment. We're talking about atheists. We're talking about people who do not profess Christ. We're talking about Buddhists. We're talking about Hinduists. We're talking people who are not Christians. Three out of four, if we were to do the exact same demonstration, if we were to ask four people to stand up and we were to consider exactly what that money could accomplish three out of four would still be standing. And to what purpose? And to who are we giving to? It's like Clay said this morning, if we're not sowing into God, if we're not sowing into worship, if we're not uh, looking to the one true king, we're giving ourselves to something, right? Three out of four non-believers have figured out a way to do it. They figured out a way to absolutely give to something, whereas Christians have not. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to get to it in one of the next points. Number five, families who make $20,000 or less per, per year are eight times more likely to give than families who make $75,000 or more. That's devastating. The poor more readily give than the rich. 
I'm reminded of an illustration. I, I saw it on Facebook uh, of a small African boy. He was probably about six or seven years old. And you could tell just by looking at him that his ribs were showing, his, his lips were blistered, and he was standing out in the African wilderness. And you could just tell that his whole world was different than, than our world. And one thing that happened in the picture that just sort of floored me as I saw it was whenever they came into this village, there was an outreach team who went into the village and they took a cameraman to sort of film and to take pictures and to photograph and see all these things. One of the things that came out of that is that they gave the little boy that I just mentioned, the one whose ribs are showing, his, his uh, lips are blistered, they, they gave him two suckers. He'd never seen a sucker in his life. He probably hadn't eaten in several days. That's how he looked. But the photograph was of him with one sucker in his hand and the other sucker being reached toward the cameraman as a gift. It just devastates me. And we think about that and we put that into perspective and we think about what we're carrying around in our own wallets and what we have the ability to give away and what we actually spend it on. This idea that people who live on $20,000 or less are eight times more likely to give. I can assure you that the little boy in the picture from Africa probably owned two suckers. That's all he had. And he gave 50% of it away. Amazing. Number six, 80% of people who tithe have zero credit card debt. 28% of those are debt-free, including not having a mortgage. What I learned from this is that tithing inspires responsibility in other areas of our finances. When we can responsibly give the 10% to God we can learn better how to use the 90%. It's a whole change in our heart. It's a change in our behaviors, right? And, and I'm, I'm confident that if we can't find it in ourselves to live on the 90%, we'll never be satisfied with the 100% either. It's a heart issue. Number seven, 33% of American Christians say that it is impossible for them to get ahead in life or give because of debt they have incurred. If you'll think back to the illustration of the three people who were standing and the two that sat down, one of those people who sat down sat down because their life is so full of stuff that they cannot find it in their budget to give to God. That's convicting. Financial bondage is a tool of the enemy to keep money out of God's kingdom. Non-Christians have no problem giving. Three out of four of them give. They give to what? Is it to God's work? Sometimes. But we don't know. And why is it that God's people are so wrapped up that only one out of three can give? Because it's a tool. It's a scheme. It's something that the enemy intentionally targets God's people. And he puts a sign on their back, and that sign says, Debt. And that's what this class is about. It's about being responsible and trying to learn how to come out from under this bondage and how not to buy into this idea that we have to have it all before we give God our all. So what can my tithe do for God? I'm going to give you some statistics about the American church. I told you that uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 33 to 50% of Christians report they give nothing to charities or to the church. So what if everybody gave everything? What if everyone who professes to be a Christian actually gave their 10%? If we added up all the incomes in this room, all the incomes in Kentucky of people who are Christians, all the incomes of people across the nation who profess to know and love and honor God, if we added all that up and took all their incomes and said, what's 10% of that? 10% of that is $165 billion per year. Everybody at the table, stand up.
I want you to take a look at the nine people who are standing up here. That's how many zeros represent $1 billion. Now multiply that by 165 and you start to wonder what can we do for this world on that sort of budget if God's people start giving exactly what he's asked them to do. Take a look around. Seriously, have you ever seen a check with that many zeros? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Have a seat. Thank you. So here's what we can do with that kind of money. Here's what we can do with that kind of passion. Here's what we can do with that kind of heart. And we're talking about the global American context here. We're going to drill down a little bit to the church here in just a second. Number one, we could eliminate world hunger. Now, I don't want that to just be a bullet point on a page. I want you to think about that for a month. The, the child that I just described, the child who's starving even today, I, I know that there's someone, if he's not there, someone's there to take his place because the enemy always has a scheme to keep people in starvation, to keep people from being fed. Think about that for just a moment. You could eliminate that, not just in that child's life, in everybody in his community everybody in his country, everybody in his continent, everywhere in the world where hunger has touched someone's life, we could wipe that out today in one year. One year of giving, like we're supposed to give as the American church, could dramatically change this world. Number two, we could eliminate illiteracy. $12 billion over five years will completely wipe out people who can't read across this world. And let me give you a little bit of a statistic. Prisons are actually constructed based on how many kids are not reading at grade level by third grade. That's how we plan out Christians. I mean, sorry, that's how we plan out prisons. <laughs> All right? We consider the people who are not reading on grade level by third grade, and that projects how many prisons we're going to need and how much space this country is going to need in the future. Well, why do you think that is? Because to me, prison is uh, a symbol for sin. It's a symbol for acting outside of governmental authority, a lot of times acting outside of God's authority. This idea of illiteracy is important because it's difficult to do God's work based on what someone else has told you to do. If you can't read the Bible, how can you live it? We can eliminate that. If God's people were faithful to give in five years, everybody would be able to read. That's amazing. Number three, eliminate contaminated water, one of the number one killers across this world for $15 billion per year. And these numbers sound like a lot, but remember, we're operating in the scope of $165 billion. And that's not a one-time thing. That's every single year across this world. Yeah. Imagine that. Think about what you could do with that. Number four, we could fully fund all overseas missions work with $1 billion Per year. Now, if you're doing the math on this and you're thinking through this and you're thinking, where does that other $165 billion go? Take a look here because we've just eliminated world hunger. We've uh, eliminated illiteracy. We've eliminated contaminated water. We have fully funded all of God's work, domestic and abroad. And we have $107 billion left over to continue building ministry year after year after year. Think about that. Think about how quickly we could usher in the presence of the Lord if we were reaching out to everyone, if we were fulfilling their needs at that kind of global level. That's what the American church could do if we acted and gave and behaved like the church of God. But you may say, okay, that's the American church, right? I can't be responsible for what everyone does. 
But it starts at a grassroots level. It starts with us. It starts with our church. It starts with our community. So what could our church do with just the amount that God's entrusted us for? Our church has a vision called Daring Faith. And we've been talking about it for several months. We've had several meetings and and we've had a lot of discussion and we've had a lot of sermons and we've had these classes and, and all of it has been to the point that we just want God's people to be God's people, to read the letter of the word of God and to act upon it in truth and to do what God has asked us responsibly to do. And the vision we have is to raise $1 million over the course of three years. Why? So we can put it 100% toward the work of building the kingdom of God. Here's what we could do with $1 million in Clay County. Number one, we could completely fund 185 church plants for three years in nations where God is completely unknown. Clay gave the representation of the... uh, the uh, person who was worshiping, um, and, and I, he may not have said this, but I kind of pictured it in my mind, sort of in the bush and sort of, uh, you know, and, and the thing that really came to my mind is I wonder who is telling that person about God? And more importantly, whose responsibility is it to tell that person about God and to teach them about God? It's ours, 100%. The Bible makes it very, very clear. What else could we do with a million dollars? We could completely fund four years of college for 27 graduates from Clay County High School. Just to put that into perspective, uh, according to the last census data that was taken, about 10% of people in Clay County have a college degree. I'm not saying necessarily that you have to have a college degree to be successful, but I will tell you that that exponentially increases your potential for success. It exponentially increases your potential for income, which by merit of doing that, increases the ability you're able to give back to God's work. And we're doing a couple things with that. Number one, we're educating folks. Number two, we are providing them additional means to give because their income will increase. And number three, we're keeping them out of debt, right? If we were to go around this room and talk about college debt, I'm sure the numbers (laughs) would (laughs) start to reflect a lot, you know, very highly of where our hearts are. Number three. There are nine public schools in Clay County. And and I'm talking about going all in on each of these projects, all right? Obviously, we have to have some discernment. We have to figure out exactly where we want to divide the resources. But if we went all in on just giving all of the money to the nine public schools that are in Clay County, talking about the elementary schools, the middle school, and the high school, we could provide $111,111 to each of the nine public schools to feed all the children in the district to buy all the school supplies, to enhance math and literacy, and to hire additional support staff. There are so many ways that our schools could use our giving. Number four, we could give $314 to every single student enrolled in Clay County Schools. That's 3,181 students for back-to-school clothing and supplies. One thing that I'll tell you that that made me a nervous wreck when I was younger was figuring out how we were going to afford school clothes. Now, I don't know if any of you come from a similar background, but Alex and I, we've told you before, we come from a, a very poor background. And I can tell you that the furthest thing from my mind, even though I was at that time a professed Christian, even though I would have told you I was saved, the farthest thing from my mind was going into that school and representing God and talking to these people who had much more than I did because I was so nervous about how they saw me. And that was a hard issue. But at the same time, there are external resources that we can provide to offset that issue. And one of those is the simple act of providing school clothes. 
to children in Clay County and removing that burden, removing that worry, and completely leveling the playing field so that they can minister in these schools and so that we can win these schools to God. Now, what I'm going to do at this time is I want you to take your envelope, all right? Don't open it just yet. I'm going to tell you to open it. <laughs> Everyone in the room has an envelope, and the envelope has something inside. And yesterday, while I was studying and praying through the lesson and thinking about what God wanted to share about giving, he started to reveal something to me. He started to reveal sort of a, a little bit of a demonstration, and he put a certain amount of money in my heart that he wanted me to give to the church. And he also gave me a word that he wanted me to read, and so that I didn't stumble through it, I wrote it down. So I'm going to guide you through this process, and I just ask that you take just a minute to listen. With your envelope in your hand, open your envelopes. Inside you will find one dollar. Yesterday around noon, the Lord told me to bring one dollar for every person who walked into class today. I didn't know how many people or dollars that would be, so I brought 108 individually sealed dollar bills, one for each person who calls City of Hope Church their home. Through me, the Lord had the potential to sow $108 today. Unfortunately, we only sowed about 14 Does that mean the Lord failed? No. It means God had a bigger plan for our money today than we did. It means God spoke to people who answered his call and who faithfully attended a class on daring stewardship. And he also spoke to people who did not. The dollar you hold is yours. Take it out. Everybody hold it right in front of you. You've seen one of these before, right? <laughs> Take a look at it and realize that you're holding the amount of money that some people must use to feed and shelter themselves for one day. That's your breakfast, that's your lunch, that's your dinner, and that's your rent for today. Look at it and realize that you didn't earn it. It was given to you because God wanted you to have it and because he loves you. It was given to you because you were in the place God told you to be at the time he told you to be there. It was given to you because God trusted you to give it back to him. Will you give this dollar back to God? It doesn't belong to me anymore. God said to give it to you. Here's what I ask. Keep the dollar until next week. It's yours. If the Lord tells you to give it back to the church, I want you to put the dollar in the offering basket next Sunday. And don't be embarrassed that you're bringing one dollar because, like I said, most of the world depends on that to eat. If the Lord tells you to keep the dollar, I want you to keep it guilt-free. In faith, I brought $108 to give away, but only 14 people were here to accept the gift. How much will God ask us to give next Sunday and how much will actually make it into the basket? You see, this principle of God wanting to give more than we do can be applied in other areas of our church. How many people does God want to save next week? And how many will actually make it to the altar? How many people does God want to send on mission trips this year? And how many will we be able to afford to send based on our giving as a church? How many children does God want to feed this year? And for how many will we buy a loaf of bread? It's up to you. God's gifts has always been in your hands. Here's just another dollar that you can spend on God or spend on yourself. You've probably had hundreds, thousands in your lifetime. What will you do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we come before you and we just profess that in many areas of the American church, we failed you. One of those is in the area of giving and faithfully tithing. The fact that the American church alone, not counting any other country on this planet, could completely eliminate world hunger, could completely eliminate contaminated water, could eliminate illiteracy. Lord, those things convict us and we repent that when you've laid a dollar in our hands that wasn't ours, that we haven't given it back to you. Father, so I ask this question. I pray that you would really, really impress this upon our hearts. Give us an answer to this. How much shall we give, Lord? How much shall we give to the children in Africa? How much should we give to our neighbors on Bridge Street? How much should we give and how much should we keep? Lord, it's all in your hands. It's all up to you. Father, I pray that you would make us faithful stewards of your money that you would continue to lay it in our hands so that we can give it away because it's not ours. I pray, Lord, that this dollar representation would help to move people's hearts, that it would help to sway them, that it would help to allow them to give what it is you truly want to give because it's not just about money. Father, this morning there was a certain number of souls you wanted to save. How many people came to repentance? Father, there are a number of children that you want to feed, and I would guess it's every single one of them, but how many of them will we sow food and resources into their lives, and how often will we direct the money back to ourselves? Father, reveal this in our hearts. Reveal this to us, God. Teach us to give so that we can supply your kingdom in full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In wrapping up the class today, just two things I'll say. And we'll close out. Shorter class. Do the homework. <laughs> I know that sometimes it's hard to find a minute to, to do this sort of thing, but I promise you that it will be a value to you and to your life. I want you to watch the video, uh, which is called The Wife and I Disagree on Tithing. It goes back to financial infidelity, something we discussed last week. It's about a 10-minute video. You can get to it by typing in this link, or you can snap a picture with a QR code scanner if you have that. And our topic for next week will be retirement and leaving a legacy and an inheritance to our children so that the church does not die with this generation. All right? Everyone good? Thank you all. God bless.